Well, good morning, everybody, and happy Easter. Uh, this is a pre-recorded meeting for Easter Sunday 2021, still, unfortunately, in a um, semi-lockdown situation. Uh, I'm recording this on behalf of uh, Calvary Church here in Brighton. Uh, normally a uh, group of uh, 70 to 80 people meeting together on a Sunday morning. We're an independent Baptist church on the south coast of England, just uh, south of London. Uh, I'm going to be uh, introducing this service this morning and uh, I'll be speaking later about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I commend to you the five Easter questions, which are little videos answering some questions that uh, newcomers to Christian faith might have about Christian faith. And I commend that to you, and there will be a link somewhere around uh, to uh, for you to look at those and perhaps recommend them to other people as you wish. So today is Easter Sunday, and having introduced myself and uh, welcomed everybody, uh, let's say the traditional Easter greeting, which the churches have been saying over a thousand, two thousand years, I guess. Uh, in which a uh, person at the front says Christ is risen and the people in the congregation say he's risen indeed. So let me say Christ is risen. And I didn't hear you reply, but so we'll try it again, shall we? I'm going to say Christ is risen and you're going to say he is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let me read the vision that John had of the risen Christ when he heard uh, a voice like a trumpet and I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash round his waist uh, sorry round his chest his head and hair were white like wool as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive for ever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. As the risen Christ described, not in a, a literal um, appearance, but uh, theologically, all his divinity and power and dignity and fullness of life and fullness of glory that the risen Christ has. I just pause to remind us that he has risen as a human being. There is resurrected flesh in heaven and he has risen and one day we shall rise and be like him and we shall see him as he is. But now let's sing uh, 458, a resurrection song. I'll just look at the words on my screen here, which says, Christ the Lord is risen today, hallelujah. All creation joined to say, hallelujah. Raise your joys and triumphs high, hallelujah. Sing you heavens and earth reply, hallelujah. Love's redeeming work is done. Fought the fight, the battle won. See our sun's eclipse has passed. See the light returns at last. Vain the stone, the watch, the seal. Christ has burst the gates of hell. Death in vain forbids him rise. Christ has opened paradise. Lives again our glorious King. Where, O oh, death, is now your sting? Once he died, our souls to save. Where's your victory? Boasting grave. And it says that we will be with him. We will soar where Christ has led one day. Uh, ours the cross, the grave, the skies, 
Hail the Lord of earth and heaven, praise to you by both be given. Every knee to you shall bow, risen Christ, triumphant now. So let's sing 458. come on this Easter day to acclaim, 
to rejoice in, to glorify the risen Christ. We bow before you, risen Saviour, in your mighty power, in the fullness of life that you have, in the glory that is now yours, the glory that you had with the Father before the world was made, and we lift our hearts to, to you in acclaim. We praise you for your work upon the cross, that you faced the full penalty on sin and paid it in full, that you bore the wrath of God, you drank the cup and said it is finished. We thank you that you defeated Satan on the cross, that all his powers and schemes came to nothing and you have shown him to be a defeated enemy, the one who does not have all authority and power, but you have all authority and power. We praise you that now the prince of this world is cast out and he does not have power to condemn your people nor to hinder the work of the gospel, uh, but is a defeated enemy. We praise you that you have conquered sin and we praise you that you have conquered death. Lord, all our lives are lived under the fear of death and we know that it brings an end to even the strongest and most youthful one day. But we thank you that you have conquered death and you have made it so that we can look forward to eternal life in your presence. We can look forward to resurrection life in your presence and the fulfilment of all that being human was meant to be. Please deliver us from making this world our heaven, from setting all our hopes on the, the things and occupations and people of this world, whereas we should be setting our hope so clearly and fully upon you. Forgive us that we don't do that, but enable us to do it as we should. And on this Easter day, lift our hearts in praise to you. Help us to appreciate afresh the victory that you've won, the glory that is yours, and help us to anticipate, with genuine anticipation, the day when you will return in glory and you will take the acclaim that rightly belongs to you and you will be shown to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords and you will put all things into their right place and make all things new. So help us to look forward to that day and help us to live now in the light of that Seeing that these things shall be, what manner of people ought we to be now? Forgive us for our small uh, pettiness of concerns. Forgive us for our earthboundness. But help, ev help us to take everything in this life that you've now given us as being indicative of what shall yet be and cause us to be looking forward to your coming and the renewal of all things in your resurrection power. We also pray that as uh, Christian people, our lives now might re reflect re resurrection power. Pray that we might have power to put sin to death and to put on Christ in the way we think and act and live uh, and feel. So grant us to live in the light of your resurrection as we lift our praises to you. We just add a prayer for our world in all its lostness, uh, the, the nations that are still suffering with the virus, the people who are passing from this world into eternity without knowing you. Have mercy, O God. Have mercy and lead. Uh, um, bring about your kingdom. Bring about your purposes. Bring glory to yourself. May the name of the Heavenly Father be hallowed. And we pray these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. We're now going to have a, a children's slot, which has been recorded specially. So I hand over to the children's slot, which I think this time is Mark. Thanks, Mark. Happy Easter, Calvary Kids. It's Mark here, Calvary Kids Online, and I'm back from the Caribbean. I'm in the garden. Yes, I'm in the tomb where Jesus was laid. Today is Easter Sunday. He is risen. Hallelujah. And we're looking at the narrative from Mark's gospel. So please have your listening ears on. We'll be reading from Mark 
chapter 16, 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they could embalm him. Very early on Sunday morning, as the sun rose, they went to the tomb. They worried out loud to each other. Who will roll back the stone from the tomb for us? Then they looked up, saw that it had been rolled back. It was a huge stone and walked right in. They saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed all in white. They were completely taken aback, astonished. He said, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, the one they nailed on the cross. He's been raised up. He's no longer here. You can see for yourselves that the place is empty. Now, on your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going on ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there exactly as he said. They got out as fast as they could beside themselves. Their heads swimming, stunned. They said nothing to anyone. Well, children, this story is fantastic news today. This is the best possible news we could imagine. The fact that Jesus rises from the dead means that the cross really did make a way for us to be friends with God. It means that death is not the end. Amen. For those who trust in Jesus, death becomes a doorway into eternal life with Jesus. I would like you to look at these questions on the screen and ask them with your parents. Ask and answer them. So the first one is imagine going to the tomb with the three women. What would you have been feeling? Explore the mixture of emotions they would have felt. What would you feel being told by an angel that Jesus is risen? And children, ask your parents, what difference has knowing Jesus is alive made to your life? And afterwards, pray together as a family. Praise God that Jesus is alive. God bless you today. Bye from me. So we've been able to do this children's slot for these past uh, four or five weeks and uh, really would value feedback as to whether the parents have found that helpful. I mean, it, it takes time to put it all together and uh, I hope it's helpful, but would value feedback on that. Uh, we're now going to have um, the first of uh, two readings and Ray's going to read to us from Luke 24 verses 1 to 12. This is the story of the resurrection with the women going to the tomb and getting their reaction. So thanks, Ray. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. 
When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the disciples. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. And now we've got another resurrection song. This one is a Graham Kendrick. Uh, In the tomb so cold they laid him, death its victim claimed. Powers of hell, they could not hold him. Back to life he came. Christ is risen. Death has been conquered. He shall reign forever. So thanks for that song. And now we're going to have a a second reading, a second resurrection reading, and Brenda's reading to us from Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. This is on the road to Emmaus, the risen Christ appearing to these two disciples who had been so disappointed, and uh, he makes himself known to them. Thanks, Brenda. Luke 24, beginning at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. 
they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels, who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. And in a moment I'll hand over for the talk, but let's pray as we do so. We thank you for the risen Christ. Uh, Thank you for the resurrection of Jesus. Help us as we contemplate it to have deeper conviction in our hearts, deeper reassurance, deeper devotion, uh, stronger hope and stronger faith. So bless the speaker and hearers alike as we come to your word. Amen. Well, let's come to think about this uh, subject of the resurrection at Easter. Uh, We've been thinking that in this pandemic, uh, this prompts us to raise issues of our mortality of our fragility, issues of life and death, of our relationship to our Creator, and what it is to be in the presence of the God who made us, uh, the uh, need we have for contact with him, which is built into us as being essential to our humanity. And at Easter we look back and remember the death of Jesus, and particularly on Easter Day, his resurrection. If that's for the first time, it's a good thing to think about thinking about spiritual realities of God and eternity, maybe with a new relevance, looking forward to whether there is such a thing, well, there is, of life after death. Perhaps it has a new interest for you. So in order to uh, work that through, we've been thinking uh, for the past few weeks about who is Jesus. And this is such an important matter. And here's another reason why we should bother with it. Because if he is raised from the dead, if that really is correct, this affects each one of us. Now, the Apostle Paul spells out the logic of it, and it works a bit like this. If he is not the risen Christ, and if we align ourselves with him, uh, 
we are of all people most to be pitied. That's a huge mistake and disappointment. If he is the risen Christ and we align ourselves with him, then we are on the winning side and we are safe. But if he is the risen Christ and we don't align ourselves with him, we put ourselves in a position of no hope, cutting ourselves off from hope, of uh, refusal and rebellion. And there's no way out of that. That's a permanent lostness that we're headed for. So this really is an important subject. And we were looking at uh, who is Jesus and answering in these ways. You can look back on the YouTube and, and find the different uh, talks on this. We, we looked at his person. Who is he? The Son of God, the Son of Man, Lord. Uh, we looked at his work to reveal and to redeem and to reign. We saw he was the Christ who prayed in the garden. If possible, let this cup pass from me. The Jesus who triumphantly entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, which we thought about last week, who died on the cross, not as a random mistake, but in a substitutionary, sacrificial way. And what we're going to look at today is the, that Jesus is the one whom the Father raised from the dead in a physical body and in scriptural fulfilment whom the Father raised from the dead in a physical body and in scriptural fulfilment. So let's uh, look at that. I'll take it in this order. We'll look at, first of all, the physical body, then we'll look at the fact that this is Jesus whom the Father raised, and then we'll look at the scriptural fulfilment. That's really what I want to do today. I know it's a rather... Um, it's an imperfect treatment of a huge, huge subject, but at least let's think about these three things as God helps us today. So in introduction I, I need to say that the resurrection of Jesus, all it's celebrated at Easter Day, it isn't confined to Easter Day, so we, we might uh, enjoy saying Christ is risen, he is risen indeed at Easter, but uh, really it's completely illogical not to say that every day, it's true every day, it's true every Sunday and presumably the early church met on Sunday, the first day of the week, in commemoration of Christ's resurrection. So every Sunday meeting is a resurrection-affirming meeting. And the resurrection of Jesus is fundamental to everything in the Christian faith. I know the liberal scholars try to sort of um, make it into a, a, a myth and say, well, we can have Christianity without having to believe this difficult thing that Christ rose from the dead. But if you take that away, you're not left with anything very much. It's not an optional extra. I mean, where is forgiveness? If you take away the resurrection, uh, justification, being right with God, if Christ was not justified, because his, his resurrection is a justification, it's saying he's right. If Christ was not justified then how do we know we can be justified? What's the basis for that? And the Christian life. If Christ's risen power by the Spirit is not at work in the believer, then what is the Christian life? It's, it's not much better than just trying one's best, is it? That's pretty vacuous and miserable if we have no help from the life of Christ's risen power. And the future... If Christ is not risen into what you might call life after life after death, then what basis is there for us hoping that there is life after death if we belong to Christ? Uh, when we go to the graveside, we just weep without hope. If, there's no, if Christ is not risen, what, what hope is for the future? And proclamation, if Christ is not risen, then there is no living Lord to turn to, and there is no dispenser of forgiveness. There's no forgiveness to aspire to. What, what, I mean, what, what is there to say? Um, there's not, not much point in, in preaching anything, is there? But putting it the other way around, Christ is risen. There is forgiveness. Christ is risen. There is risen power for each believer. Christ is risen. There is a future hope which is strong and certain. Christ is risen and there is a message which is worth proclaiming and worth putting ourselves out to uh, to proclaim. 
So that was introduction. So my, my points were, number one, a physical body. So I, I'm, this is important just to establish this. It's, it, it, it's not a very subtle point. It's just an important point. When we say Christ is risen, we're not saying he is just an idea or a memory, you know, like Robin Hood lives on in our hearts or Princess Diana lives on in our hearts or something like that. And we're not talking about a disembodied, floaty, flying person looking down on us. Um, John Stevens rather helpfully as the uh, national director of the network of churches that we belong to, the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches, made this observation. Our culture has a view of heaven as being disembodied, you know, floaty people looking down on us. And our culture has a view of hell, which is very physical and fleshly. And our culture doesn't believe either of them exist or have any relevance. But uh, what I'm asserting here is that um, the future, uh, if you like, heaven is going to be a resurrection place with physical bodies in some sort of physical environment. So we read uh, in Luke 24 and in uh, Luke 24 doesn't make all the points that uh, could be made, but it certainly talks about the body. They couldn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. His corpse was not present there and his corpse isn't present anywhere in this part of our fallen world. His corpse is not there. There are no bones to bury, no flesh decaying because it's been removed from this world. And in Luke 24 again, uh, in the appearance on the Emmaus Road, Jesus himself drew near it says in verse 15 in our English translation and he walked with them and he asked them things and he sat down at the table verse 30 and he took bread verse 30 and then uh, what does it say he disappeared from their sight so that's uh, there's some very ordinary things as well as something rather extraordinary uh, also fact the fact that they didn't originally recognize him so it, this is this is describing a physical body um, but actually a physical body with, uh, if we put it this way, without some of the limitations that our physical bodies have, but a physical body nevertheless. And that point is made in Luke 24, verse 36, which we uh, didn't read, but it says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and he said, uh, well, he stood there and he said, look at my hands and my feet, verse 39, it is I myself, touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And he showed them his hands and his feet. And then they were amazed um, and he said, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Uh, and then it goes on to say in verse 51, this Jesus was taken up into heaven. So it's a physical Jesus. And if you want to... Uh, research that a bit I recommend to you the five Easter questions which are somewhere available on this channel uh, where I go into the uh, what's called the historicity whether you actually believe this anyway a physical body and the Christian hope is tied up with this physical body that we will that's how he is we will be like him and if we belong to him uh, there will be a physical body for us in union with him and a physical environment for that body to work in and uh, the classic passage of this is 1 Corinthians 15 which I won't do in detail but in verse 42 it says talks about the resurrection of the dead the body that is shown is perishable and will be raised imperishable it is sown in dishonor it is raised in glory it is sown in weakness it is raised in power let me click through those sown in dishonour and raised in glory it is sown in weakness and raised in power and he says there is a natural body which is um, psychikos and there is a spiritual body pneumatikos uh, in other words a, a, a body that is operated by the powers of the soul that's what the psychikos means the ordinary human powers of will and energy and gumption and blood sugar and those sorts of things uh, and there is a spiritual body, 
nevmatikos. He's not meaning that this body is made of wispy, floaty stuff. In the same way, when we say a steamship, a steamship is not made of steam, but it is empowered by steam. And the physical body of the future is empowered not by just the, the normal human powers, but by the spirit. And there is something of a different dynamic in the new physical body, which was first present in Christ. And uh, Romans says something very similar. We who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our, our sonship, our adoption as sons, which is the redemption of our bodies, the future redemption of our bodies. That's what we look forward to. So we will be like him. We will have a physical body in a physical environment. Uh, and 1 John 3, 2 puts it like this. Dear friends, now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. It's a glorious prospect. We will see him as he is. And we will be like him. We will be like him. If it was physical for him, it will be physical for us. And that implies the physical nature of the world to come. And that's the hope uh, of Christianity. And uh, so strong a hope is this, that it means that we ought to be prepared to run at a loss in this world for the gain there will be in the world to come. That's a bit of a reminder, isn't it? Not to be so setting our thoughts, our hopes, our dreams in this world, uh, pleasant though it is, rather than hoping in the world to come. And that, that's a reminder for all of us. I take that to heart myself. So, first of all, we talked about the physicalness of this resurrection body. And the second thing is uh, raised by the Father. So my question is... Uh, a little bit of a technical question. Who, who does the resurrectioning? Who does the resurrection? Uh, because this is an act of mighty power. It is a great miracle to raise someone from the dead in this way. It's not a resuscitation, but a moving of this person into deathlessness. Uh, Lazarus was uh, raised from the dead, but we presume that he died again. It was just sort of putting the clock back a uh, few days, as it were. But Christ puts the clock forward into a completely new um, realm. This is an act of mighty power. Well, who does it? So let's look at some quotes. Uh, in our Luke 24, uh, in verse 7, it says, On the third day, let me try and find my place. Luke 24, verse 7. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. So that makes it something done to Jesus. Like he was crucified, on the third day he will be raised. It's something that he has done to him. In Luke 24, verse 44, it talks about everything being fulfilled that is written about me. So I suppose that implies something done to him, shall we say? Maybe not. In Luke 24, verse 46, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. So that's some, saying something that he does. And in John chapter 10, it says, the reason, this is verse 17, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. So that's uh, put in terms of something that Christ does, but he does that because he's been given authority to do it from the Father. And this is a command from the Father. Now, there's some other texts that are a little bit more definite that it is something that God does to Jesus. So, 
in Luke's second volume in Acts, Acts 2.24, you, citizens of Jerusalem, put him to death, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So there it's God does the raising. In Acts 2.32, God has raised this Jesus to life. And in Romans 6, verse 4, end of the verse, Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. So some of the texts uh, make it uh, something that Christ does or has done to him, and some of the texts are more emphatic that this is predominantly a work of God, God the Father, upon Jesus. Now, of course, it is a Trinitarian thing, and all the actions of the Trinity are indivisible. Uh, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit are involved. So let's understand that uh, this is Trinitarian. There's no question that the Father does something apart from the Son or the Son does something independently of the Spirit or so on. But I do want to try and pull this thread a little bit, that this is done at the Father's initiative. He raises the Son, he gives the command, he gives the authority. Uh, and as, uh, as Paul says, he was raised through the glory of the Father. And just to say that Christ is raised by the Father in this sense, uh, it's not an isolated, disconnected, random event. Uh, in other words, Christ doesn't raise himself separately from the Father. Um, he is in the grave and he is raised. And this is an act of God the Creator acting upon Jesus to raise him from the dead. And the more you think about it, the more one realises what a mighty act this is. This is what seems to me to be of the same order of magnitude as making the world itself to, to raise someone from the dead in this sense is of the same order of magnitude as making the whole world. This is an act of world-making crea world creative power, reversing death, taking something that's built into our fallen world uh, by God himself and reversing that, undoing it, recasting it, the, the mighty power of the Father. It was God who said the wages of sin is death and, our, and, and, and making our world subject to futility. And he, in the resurrection of Christ, massively reverses that, loosing him, uh, as it says, from the agony of death, you know, the, the, the complications, the chains, the currents, the, the power uh, that is at work this very strong power that holds the rest of humanity and indeed the cosmos in its grip. So this is a mighty act of God. And of course, in saying this, God is saying a huge yes to Jesus. So of all the, in all the history, God looks down and this one man, he says, he doesn't deserve to die. He said he would uh, rise from the dead. And that's absolutely right. And I'll back him on this 100% and raise him from the dead. People said he was guilty and deserved to die. And I say, no, he is not guilty. He did not deserve to die. And I'll vindicate him by raising him from the dead. So it's a saying, yes, he is innocent. He is not condemned. He is justified. He is declared innocent in a mighty way. And yes, he is worthy. He is not the, uh, the despicable, condemned Christ, but the worthy, blameless, noble, obedient, courageous Christ. Yes, he is worthy. And it's saying, yes, he is instituted to the highest place. He came down in humility to be a servant, but he's not a servant uh, sort of in a permanently servile mode. He's, he's served, he's uh, humbled himself but he deserves to be in the highest place at the right hand of the father and that's where he's headed and the resurrection says yes to that so he's raised by the father
in this glory, in this affirmation. Uh, and uh, it, it, it says something wonderful about Jesus, which I hope in your hearts you'd say, yeah, absolutely, that's totally right. That's totally what he deserves. And my third point is that it's in scriptural fulfilment. Now, uh, some of us uh, use WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger and these sorts of things. I don't think it's only young people who are allowed to do that. But there are these emoji things, and I'm trying to learn which are the right ones to use on right occasions. So this one, it's an upside-down face. So there's the visual symbol. I can see it's an upside-down face. And I have to look and see what it actually means. And I looked it up, and it says irony, sarcasm, joking, or a sense of goofiness or silliness. And I use it for the last few to, when something's goofy. So I think I got that right. I think I got the meaning of it right. Uh, and this one, with the sort of sort of grin like that, um, it's, uh, it says it's a range of negative or tense emotions, especially nervousness, embarrassment or awkwardness. It's like saying eek, like that. So that um, you've got the visual thing and now we've got the words that tell us actually what it means, which is actually quite helpful. And words are needed to interpret the visual, visible sign. Uh, the sign by itself is rather ambiguous, could mean a number of things. And likewise, words are needed to interpret both the cross and the resurrection. Words are needed to interpret the cross and the resurrection. That's why when Paul is summarising the gospel, he puts it like this. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen, etc., etc. But you notice what is being said there. I remember Roy Clements saying this way back when I was a student, and I found it so helpful. Here is the gospel. What is it? It is, first of all, a statement of history. Christ died for our sins. He was raised on the third day. And there's an interpretation. Why did he die? He died for our sins. Sorry, I should have just said, he died, he was raised. Interpretation, he died for our sins. That's why he died. That's the meaning of it. And then how do we know that that's the meaning of it? According to the scriptures. History, interpretation and basis for interpretation. So we find that, uh, going back to the passages that we had read, Luke 24, verses 1 to 12, they find the body, oh, I'm sorry, they don't find the body, they couldn't find the body, and they're baffled. And so in verse 4, uh, the, uh, they were wondering about this, they were perplexed, and two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And then in verse 12, Peter ran to the tomb, bending over he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. So there's bafflement, just the the visual um, appearance of things doesn't interpret itself, it leaves people baffled. Now admittedly they had they were had reference to the words of Jesus and the angels said, Don't you remember what he said? If you think about that, that would help you a lot. That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. So that helps them. But if we go to Luke 24, 13 and following, this is the disciples on the road to Emmaus. So a similar sort of thing. They uh, discuss the facts, and this stranger comes and walks with them and asks them these sort of rather innocent questions. What, 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 what do you... What are you discussing? And uh, don't you know what things have been happening? And the visitor says, well, what things are those? And they explain the facts. Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet. He was sentenced to death. And this is the third day, and some of our women went to the tomb and couldn't find his body. But there were angels saying he was alive. And... Uh, they have these facts, but they can't put them together into a, a meaningful pattern. They have disappointment. They're, they're downcast, and they can't quite get past that. 
And what does the risen Jesus do? Uh, now you notice he doesn't say, this is me, I I'm alive. He doesn't do that. First of all, he takes them back to the Bible. And in verse 25, he says, How foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So they had this fantastic uh, Bible study with Jesus who takes them through the whole of the Old Testament, presumably not verse by verse, says, don't you realise this bit is about the resurrection of the Christ and this points to the resurrection of the Christ and this only makes sense with the resurrection of the Christ and this, if you put it in the light of the resurrection of the Christ, this is how you interpret it and how it all fits together so wonderfully. And uh, he says in all the scriptures concerning himself, Moses and all the prophets, and all the scriptures. Have I got that right? What was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And they sit down to eat and he's recognised by them and then he disappears. Job done. Verse 32, they say, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And the risen Christ did not show himself directly, but showed himself via the scriptures, and it's an important principle here. And he says, isn't this, uh, verse 26, didn't the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? That's the sort of subject matter of the Bible study. You get the same thing in verse 46. He opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. That's verse 45. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Uh, he opened their, um, He opened the scriptures in verse 32 and he opened their minds in verse 45 so in scriptural fulfillment and here's the key thing that it is through the scriptures that we fully comprehend the significance of the resurrection and it is through the scriptures that the risen christ makes himself known the risen Christ is, of course, the absent Christ. He's no longer walking on roads to Emmaus or Worthing or Burgess Hill or anywhere. He has gone into heaven. He is absent. But that he can be known by us, known to us. Uh, the bare facts are not enough. The tomb is empty. Yep, the cross is empty. But we need more than that. And he doesn't make himself known just by as it were, naked spiritual presence imposed upon our spirits. Uh, he could have done something like that with the people on the road to Emmaus and just said, it's me, look. Um, but he didn't do that. What he does do, what he did do, is open the scriptures and thus to know the Christ. Um, he is raised in fulfilment of scripture and without that fulfilment interpretation we don't get to grips with his resurrection. And, you know, what a wonderful thing uh, to have the risen Christ, perhaps unknown to us, opening our minds and opening the scriptures and our hearts burning within us as we say, yes, I can see this. I can see it. It's true. It makes sense. It, 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 it goes right home into my heart and into my life, and I say, absolutely, yes, this is absolutely right. Um, and may we know him with burning hearts as the risen Christ reveals his presence to us and opens the scriptures of the Old Testament and the New Testament to us. That's something to pray for every Sunday, isn't it? And may that make us uh, believers and worshippers. May we be in union with the risen Christ, knowing his presence so that uh, we can say, in a sense, he walks with me, he talks with me upon life's narrow way. And may we have uh, a sense of the future hope that we will be raised with him and share his glory and we will 
see him as he is, for we will be like him, in fulfilment of scripture. So, those were the three things, and I've said that the resurrection is fundamental to everything, and without it there is no Christian faith and there is no life. Uh, through this we have forgiveness because Christ is risen. We have new life because Christ is risen. We have a future because Christ is risen. We commune with a living Saviour. Even as we pray, we have a, a, we're in communion with a living Saviour at the throne of grace. And I said, to try and just spell it out a bit, uh, this resurrection is in a physical body. Physical for him and so in future physical for us and so for the world to come. And that gives us a future hope which we need to deploy for today's battles. If we don't deploy that hope, we shall surely stumble. Number two, it was uh, the Jesus whom the Father raised. And I tried to say that this is a mighty action. Uh, uh, he's the object of the Father's mighty world-creating action and most enthusiastic approval. And then thirdly, I said, it's in scriptural fulfilment. Uh, so as I've just said, there's forgiveness and justification, there's the Christian life, there's hope for the future, and there is a message to proclaim now. Uh, that is what the scriptures teach. Christ had to suffer, thus to enter his glory, and that this be preached in his name to all nations, uh, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations in fulfilment of scripture so that's a very brief thoughts on this huge and wonderful subject of the resurrection and perhaps we can conclude by saying hallelujah what a salvation he has wrought Father, Son and Holy Spirit through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And hallelujah, what a saviour. And one day we shall see him as he is and be like him. And that is what fires our hearts. Amen. Amen. Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. And for our last song, we will sing a Stuart Townend song. Just looking across at the words, See what a morning gloriously blight with the dawning of hope in Jerusalem. Folded the grave clothes, tomb filled with light as the angels announce, Christ is risen. See God's salvation pan, plan, wrought in love, born in pain, paid in sacrifice, fulfilled in Christ the man, for he lives. Christ is risen from the dead. Let's sing this.
Well, time has gone and it seems far too short to celebrate such a great theme and such a great saviour. But uh, let's draw to a close with these words from Scripture. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first born from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his god and father to him be glory and power for ever and ever amen and you might say amen that's the end i wish you all a happy easter and hope that we will be able to meet meet together before too long. Just in case you're not aware, we're planning to open on uh, the mornings from April the 25th, so I hope we'll be able to see as many as possible from that time onwards. But just for the moment, it's goodbye from me. Bye-bye.